We are in Proverbs chapter 7. This morning we're making our way through these three chapters that we've committed to looking at uh, this series called Pure Passion, realizing how to direct our desires, how to control them. This morning what we're looking at is the method of seduction, and I told you that we were going to end in chapter 7, so we're almost through this series. We've uh, seen the, how important it is for us as parents to have the talk, how important it is for us as spouses to have the talk, how important it is for us as Christians and to have the talk with our Heavenly Father, the importance of recognizing and, and being able to frame sexuality uh, within the bounds of the Bible the way God has provided it for us. And we saw not just the importance of having that conversation, but the dangers of neglecting that conversation. We've also gone on uh, to see uh, what it looks like, what, what, what happens, what, what, what do I lose, what do I stand to lose if I engage in sexual sin. I told you that the word porneia is a Greek word used to describe basically sexual immorality. And it was used in 32 times in the New Testament. And when we look at that, we're always reminded and encouraged in Scripture to flee sexual immorality. But if we participate and we engage in sexual immorality, we saw the last two weeks what we can lose. This morning, I want us to go back to something I had told, I had said often throughout this series. I said, even though the enemy's means of temptation may change, his methods do not. Even though his means may change, even though the tools he may use to employ to tempt us away from God's plan and God's design, even though those may change, his tactics don't. He still employs the same tactics, though sometimes using different tools. And I want us to see, as we close out chapter 7 here this week and next, I want us to look at the two major players... In chapter 7, the two major players in chapter 7, there are really only two. There is a young man, and then there is a seductress. So we've got a young man, and then we've got a woman. And what I want us to be able to look at uh, this week and next is that just like in order to get a certain storm, in order to get a tornado, you have to have certain elements. There have to be certain ingredients involved in order to have the right recipe for a tornado. In order to bake a cake, I guess you would have to have also the same, uh, you'd have to have the right ingredients in order to mix it together to make a cake. Cakes just don't happen. Tornadoes don't just happen. Certain things have to be there. And if we look at this, if we look at chapter 7, not just as a boy and a, and a, and a woman and, and, and see their relationship together, but if we start looking at the ingredients that were present in the young boy's life and also in the woman's life, it can help give us some insight in what to stay away from, what to guard ourselves against, what to fortify our lives against so that we don't have the similar result as this young man did. I'll tell you, this young man that we're reading about in chapter 7, it starts off great for him, you would think. I mean, according to the world's eyes, everything is going great for this young man. But I promise you, as it always is with sin, the end is worse than the beginning. 
The pleasures of sin only last for a season, and I would encourage you to pay close attention to how chapter 7 closes out. It is a very sad, uh, very sad commentary on the way this young man's life ended. But I want us to spend our time this morning in chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, as we focus on the player of the young man. I want us to be able to see this first uh, person entering into this scene. Solomon says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law, keep it as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her word. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple. I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Let's stop there, verse 9. Obviously, he meets this woman. There's a rendezvous, and you can read about the rest of it. Or if you want to wait, we'll talk about it next week. Solomon, again, is carrying on that parental discussion that we looked at in chapter 5, at the beginning of chapter 5, the middle of chapter 6. And now here at the beginning of chapter 7, he again is teaching his children And you may remember that I put in that parents' conversation guide that's available on the website, um, I put in that that our discussions with our children is not a one-and-done type of thing. It's not something that we're going to be able as parents to know the importance of having a talk about uh, biblical sexuality with our children and being able to give them the tools to confront these false teachings and the myths that the world is trying to promote to them and and i shared with you and i said it's not going to be a one and done it's not going to be something where hawkins and i can pack our sack lunch and go out into the wilderness or sit by a creek and 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 start talking about it when it's all done i can wash my hands and say we're finished you see because solomon in just chapter five six and seven has brought up the discussion three times He has reintroduced it to his children twice after the first introduction in chapter 5. Just off of these three chapters alone, he has already encouraged them to listen to the words that are coming out of his mouth. It is not a simple one conversation, one communication and done. We support it through through our life actions. We look for teachable moments. And probably like you, your children are going to need to learn more than just one time. How many of us got it the first time? How many of us get any teaching really the first time? Don't we need it? Don't we need to be reminded and that repetition helps us be able to put it into practice? Solomon mentions it three times. Notice what he says to his children. He says, treasure my commands within you and keep my commandments and live. Solomon is telling his children to value the words that I'm saying. You know, ultimately he's making another plea, realizing the danger, the despair, the destruction that comes as we don't, uh, when we yield to sexual sin and, 
And as he's already said, and it's really been our theme through this series, can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Recognizing the great, the, 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 the surety of the consequences of this sin, just as if a man grabs a hold of fire, his clothes are going to get burned. Just as sure as if a man's walking on hot coals, his feet are going to get seared. Just because there's going to be destruction and scars that are going to come as a result of this sexual sin, it is encouraging Solomon to tell his children to value the words he's saying. Those words are important. These words that I'm telling you can provide life for you as a child. He says, keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Hold them as something to be regarded as beautiful. Bind them on your fingers. Keep them visible. Keep them somewhere where you're going to be reminded of the words I'm telling you, he tells his children. And write them on the tablet of your heart. Put them in that place in your life where the ink may run off on your hand and and your eyes may grow dim and be unable to see. But if you write them on the tablet of your heart, the ink will never run. Your eyes will never fade so that you cannot see it. Keep them in a place where you will always be able to treasure them and recall them. Uh, Basically what he's saying is memorize. Commit these teachings not just to your hands. Don't just keep them in front of your eyes. Commit them to memory and place them in your heart. Hide them away in your heart that you might not sin against God. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your nearest kin. What he is saying is have a great relationship with these truths. Build and grow and develop and protect your relationship with these truths. Why? Why? That they may keep you from the immoral woman. And from the seductress who flatters with her words. His appeal. Don't disregard these teachings. That's what he's saying. Don't throw them behind you. Consider them as valuable. Tie them. Attach them to every part of your life. Memorize them and put them in your heart. Why? Because abandoning these teachings can bring great destruction. Can bring great despair. He understood the consequences of sexual sin and he's pleading with his children to not throw the road map away and try to go it alone. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple I perceived among the young men a young man devoid of understanding. Five things I believe that we find in this young man that help lead to this devastating end that we read of at the end of chapter 7. Five things, I believe, help contribute, part of the recipe that helped contribute to this young man's downfall. And the first one is this. There was a lack of understanding. Solomon says in verse 6, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youth a young man devoid of understanding standing 13 times that phrase devoid of understanding comes up in the old testament 12 times it comes up in the book of proverbs obviously where the proverbs were written so that we would not just have wisdom but so we would have understanding now let me let me just drop this in there for a moment 
many of us know the difference between wisdom and understanding, right? We know the difference between knowledge and understanding. Knowledge is what we have in here. Knowledge is what we have heard or what we have, have, have taken into our body. Knowledge is knowing what the Word says. Understanding is the implementation of what we know. So knowledge and wisdom means this is, I've, I know what the Bible says. I know what my parents have said. I know what I'm supposed to do. But understanding is the implementation of what we know. You can be incredibly knowledgeable and not be, and, and not apply that knowledge to your life. You can have it up here and it do you absolutely no good because you're not implementing that knowledge through right decisions in your life. And think about what a sad situation this is in the life of this young man. <coughs> he has had a father who has been pouring into his life. Chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Three different times. He has had direct conversation with his son. And, and, and if we can get the picture, we get the idea. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, the father, the son's wanting to get away from the conversation. And the, the father's taking his son and setting him right back down in front of him. And saying, I'm not done. There's still more. Listen to my words. Bind them on your fingers. Tie them on your heart. Say to them that you are my nearest kin. You are my closest sister. Have a relationship with him. He's pleading with him because he understands the danger of disobedience in regards to sexual sin. Now here's the crazy thing. This young man is not devoid of knowledge. He knows. He's, been, he's heard it. He's heard it at least three times throughout these chapters. He was devoid of understanding. He was not implementing what he knew. He had a head full of knowledge, but a heart that was lacking discipline and obedience as he would put those principles into, fact, into truth. Oftentimes, isn't, doesn't that accurately describe us? Very rarely are our sins, I would imagine, sins of ignorance. Very rarely do we get into problems because we didn't know we were getting into the problem. Very rarely do we engage in sin not realizing that it's not sin. Most generally, at least in my life, I know it's sin. I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I allow myself to continue on that path knowing all the while that I shouldn't do it. And that's the case that we find with this young man. He's walking down the street. He knows where she lives. I'm not going to give too much away for the points that are to come, but he's walking down the road and he's got a head full of knowledge. He probably still has his daddy's words ringing in his ears. Why do you think it's important as parents that we don't just tell them once? This young man got the conversation three times. Three times he heard about birds and bees. And yet still, he walks out with the head full of knowledge. Guys, we don't just teach. Parents, again, we don't just teach with our mouths. We need to be able to support it by our life. That they wouldn't just hear us teach them, but they would see us teach them through making proper decisions ourselves. Patterning, being a godly 
role model for them in their lives. He lacked understanding. He knew what to do. He knew what to do. But he did not do it. Notice with me. Please at verse number seven when he says he saw among the simple I perceived among the youths or the young men a young man devoid of understanding passing along the street near her corner. First is we may have all the knowledge that we need in regards to what we should do but if we're not going to implement it it proves that we are we do not understand we lack understanding. It is not knowledge enough that can save us, but a practice and implementation of that knowledge. Secondly, we get the idea that he is alone. At least at one time, he is considered to be with other young people or is, cons- or is counted among young people. But at some point, it, we get the impression that he is now walking to the house alone. He is now passed down the road, now passed down the path that has led up to her house And eventually goes into her door. And all the while we get the understanding that he's alone. You see the second thing can. The the second thing that can hint that can be an ingredient. For sexual sin. Is for us to be alone. Some of you. May recall. King David. A man after God's own heart. And out of all that he did that was so good, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we learned something he did that was not good. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11, in the very first verse of that chapter, um, that before David ever goes in and commits adultery with Bathsheba, after he sees her bathing uh, from the roof of his house, before he ever sees her bathing, before he ever goes in, Uh, with her before he ever goes down that road, the Bible tells us that he had stayed back while all of the other kings had gone out to war. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, that it was springtime. And it was the time that kings go to battle. But David had sent the armies in, had sent his generals in, and David had stayed back by himself. And in chapters 11, verse 1 and 2, it says that he gets up from his bed, he goes out, and he sees her there. Had David been where David should have been? Had David been out on the field of battle doing what he should have been doing and what was expected of him? He wouldn't have even been there during that moment while Bathsheba was bathing. Had David had someone else in the room, in the building, in the home? More than likely, that accountability would have kept him from going down that road. You see, oftentimes, <coughs> oftentimes in our life, we can get into a mess when we're going through life alone. You see, I run into guys. Now, I would imagine each one of us that struggles with sin, we struggle with sharing our struggles with other people. We don't want other people to know that we have struggles, be it pride or greed or envy or lust or or whatever it is and we may feel as though that we can't let anybody know we can't share this news with somebody because then they're going to think poorly of us and really what we're struggling with is pride and i believe that the enemy wants nothing more than for us to battle that alone 
wants nothing more than for us to feel like we cannot share, we cannot talk, we cannot, we cannot go to somebody with some of our problems because I believe that the enemy knows that as long as we're the only ones that know and we're the only ones on a human record that keep a tally of wins and losses, then we're not going to be so concerned with the number of losses that we rack up. If we don't have someone holding us accountable, if we don't have someone there to walk with us, to, to, to receive strength from, to ask the hard questions, to be able to be a presence in our life that's going to speak truth into our life, that's going to be a source of encouragement. I believe that we're, we're making a very dangerous gamble in our life. And this is, goes beyond sexual sin. This deals with, I believe, many various areas of sin in our life. To find that accountability partner, to find that person that loves Jesus like you do, that's going to be honest with you, that loves you, that wants the best for you, that's going to be able to speak truth into your life and be meeting with that person and say, hey, I have a problem. I, I need help. I, I hate this sin more than anything, and I don't want this sin to tear me down. I don't want this sin to continue to have the victory and that place in my life. I want you to know that I've got this problem and I want you to pray for me. I want you to ask me how I'm doing. I don't want to go through this alone. Psalm 101 verse 6. Guys, you may jot this text down. Psalm 101 verse 6 says, My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. David said in Psalm 101, verse 6, My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. King David wrote those words. As he said, I'm going to look out for someone who fears God. I'm going to keep my eyes open for those that are faithful among the land. And when I find them, I'm going to bring them into my life. Ecclesiastes 4.12 <coughs> Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Though one may be overpowered, two can withstand him, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Friends, if we truly hate the sin as much as we think we do, we're going to be willing to go to somebody that we can trust. And say, I don't want to go through this alone. I, I, if I'm alone and left up to my own devices, I can make some horrible decisions. And enter into a covenant relationship with that person. Enter into an accountability relationship with that person. Men with men and women with women. Works the best. Passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house. First, there wasn't just a lack of understanding that contributed to the demise. Second, it was not just the fact that he was alone. Wasn't anybody walking with him? Easier to make these decisions when it's just him. Thirdly, we see a progression towards sin. There was a progression towards sin. Notice what the Scripture says. He was passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house street near her corner from her corner took the path to her house street
corner path house. Don't you know, when he got to the street, no doubt the words of his father were echoing in his ear. Then when he gets to the corner, could go either direction. No doubt there's that word of his father to tie the teachings around his finger. And he yields to that and he thinks, I'll just get a little bit closer to the house. And he goes down the path. And as he's going down the path, you know the words of his father saying that to, 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 to put the word on your heart and to hold it there. And then he makes it right to the door of her house. You see, I would love to tell you that this guy just was walking down the road and just was happened to be going about his day, doing his own thing, and as he was doing his own thing, he thought, well, I'll just turn right here and see where this path leads. It's not the case. In fact, I'll tell you this, that this man is not the, this man, what he is doing, this young man as he's walking down the street, as he comes to the corner, as he chooses to go down the path, and as he goes right to her house, it's not an accident. He is actually responding to something that happened earlier in his life. What was it? What was it that happened earlier in his life? If you look with me, look at verse... 10. Solomon is now describing the woman. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. Notice where she was. At times she was outside. At times in the open square. Lurking at every corner. This young man... This young man was not just walking down the road innocently, going about his day and then making a turn here, and then, oh, there, it led to the prostitute's house. It's not like that at all. If I read these verses together, what I understand is that Solomon is saying is that this woman has been out on the street corners, she's been out in the highly visible areas, and this young man saw her and has now trailed her to this house. You see, there are things in our life that we cannot help but see. There are sometimes images, there are sometimes things that come in front of our eyes that we cannot help see. We can look away as fast as we can, but our mental computer can still log that if we're not careful. Sometimes there are images on our TV screens or, or on our computer that we may not have ever intended on pursuing or going after, but there they are. And I believe that our, that our society, our culture in its attempt to, 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 to move and to, to present this sexual propaganda, and it's an attempt to teach our young people, our culture, an unbiblical view of sex. I tell you, it's everywhere. And as those images are there, there are oftentimes we can't look away fast enough and we see those images or we see how people are dressed or we see what they are revealing or we see what they are showing. But let me tell you something. Even though I cannot always be held responsible for what I see in front of me, 
I can be held responsible with what I do with what I see. You see, once it's there and I look away, now comes the moment of decision. Do I continue to look away knowing that it's the right thing to do or do I follow the steps of this young man who is now, he's seen her at some point. She's been out in the market. She's been out in the open square. She's in highly visible places. She's in the crossroads of life. She wants to be seen. And once I see that, assuming it's accidental, what do I do with that? Do I look away and continue to gaze somewhere else? Do I pluck my eye out, as Jesus said, and cast it far from me? Do I control myself, as Jesus told me to in the Sermon on the Mount? Or do I look back? Or do I pursue what I have just seen? Do I act on that? Or do I do what the Bible has said? and flee this young man saw this woman in her attire loud and rebellious feet that would not stay at home out at the marketplace out highly visible places getting as many people to try to look at the product as they possibly could and they did one did for sure And that night after everybody had gone to sleep, after his friends had all gone home, this young man, having just received counsel from his father, took it upon himself to go down the street near her corner. He turned down the path and went to her house. And the young man that thought what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas It says in verse 22, immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his own life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Something's going to happen. This young man was responding to what he had seen. First, there was a lack of understanding. Second, he was alone. Third, there was this gradual progression towards sin, getting closer and closer, putting ourselves in places where it is easier and easier to, 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 to yield to that temptation, where we find ourselves weaker and weaker, continuing to give the enemy a foothold. And the fourth thing, There was the availability of time. There's no record of him doing anything other than being out strolling looking for this woman's house. You've heard it said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. There may be a lot of truth to that, especially in regards to this. Much of the trouble we can get into is because we have time to get into trouble. There's much to be said about having a life that is full of faithful activity. And I believe that oftentimes on our calendars and in our time, it is our down moments, it is our dead moments, that are the moments where we are not busy engaging and active in, in working for the Lord or doing something that our minds begin to race, our hands begin to become available, and our minds begin to, to fill up with notions that we should not have ever had in there in the first place. I want to come to this last 
point, please, for just a moment. By the way, David also had the availability of time in 2 Samuel 11. Everybody else was out fighting. He was back doing nothing when he yielded to temptation with Bathsheba. I want to show you the privacy, please. It says, passing along the street near her corner, he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Leads to the last thing, the fifth thing. Fifth ingredient or the fifth element is privacy. I've got to say, In my research for this series, I have found, I found something that was a little alarming. When personal computers, when computers began to be personal, and they weren't just something at work, but people started putting them in their homes, And then as the internet started to dominate life, no doubt with personal computers and access to the internet, as I'd shared these statistics already through this series, we saw an increased spike in pornography consumption. Now we're not just dealing with personal computers. But now we're dealing with something that almost every one of us has. Many of our phones and our tablets are mobile. And you know what? Many of your children have phones and mobile devices that can get online. And you know what? With the growth of these mobile devices, There is prediction that we are right on the front end of one of the greatest pornography abuse bubbles in history to date. You know why? You can view it anytime, anywhere. And since it's your phone, there's very little accountability. Since it's your tablet, there's very little accountability. And I think that one of the great dangers about the beginning of this great bubble of pornography use under these things is the fact that men and women will be able to hide it and disguise it better, much like this young man going down the street, taking the corner to the path to her house under the darkness of night, in the dark, in the twilight, moments he was hidden he felt under the darkness of light but the great irony is is that Solomon is looking out the lattice of his window and he sees everything that's going on and you see the problem is is that we can hide it away We can clear out our search history. We can get an app to try to cover it up. We can do private browsing. We can can look at these things that we know that we should never at the supper table, but at other places. And technology, though it can be a great thing, can also be a very devastating effect on us morally if we're not using righteousness, if we're not allowing godly principles to guard us and direct us. If you're struggling with that and you have a mobile device, you have another, another reason to say, God, I need help. 
Because that can be used as a tool that can drag you down. And this young man lacks understanding. He was alone, gradually progressing more and closer and closer to sin, had an availability of time, and there was great amounts of privacy in this moment. He went to the darkness of night. To go into her house, thinking and hoping that nobody in the world would see him and he would not be held accountable and there wouldn't be any consequences and there wouldn't be any repercussions. But as I read to you in verse 22, there were consequences and it cost him his life. I, I'm reminded of what David himself said in Psalm 139. When he was speaking about how great God is. And how he realized that God created him and formed him in his innermost parts. And that David, in that great psalm that we love so much, is speaking about how David knows that there's nowhere in the world I could go. God, where you're not. He says, if I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I lift off with the wings to the morning, you're there too, God. And David says something that we might tend to forget. David says, God, I know that darkness is light to you. God, darkness is light to you. And guys, you know what? This goes well beyond sexual sin. This goes well beyond porneia. I believe that what we're talking about, about the having that realization and that understanding that God knows what I'm doing in my life, whether anybody else does or not. And when it comes down to it, out of all of the relationships that matter in my life, His should be the one that matters most. And yet often it seems we get it turned around and His is the one that matters the least. We're more worried about what other people are going to think. We're more worried about what if my wife catches me or what if my husband knows what I'm doing when what ought to grip our heart beyond all of those other things, superseding all of those other things, not disregarding them, not discounting them, but putting them in the right places to say that what God knows God knows what I'm doing. I can pull the blinds, but God sees. It might be dark, but God knows. Integrity is what you do when nobody else is looking. Who I am. You want to know who you are? You want to know who the true Jamie is? Do you want to know who the true you is? Who are you when nobody else is around? That's scary, isn't it? Who are we when nobody else is looking? Who are we when we are in our home alone? Who are we when the lights are off and the blinds are pulled? Who are we when we're speaking when no one else from church is around? Who are we? I will never know more of who I truly am than that person I am when nobody else is around. And I want to ask you, who are you? Do we live a life? Do we live a life as though Christ is not behind me. 
Do we live life as though not Christ has an angel sitting on my shoulder? But do I live life as though Christ is right here? Because that's where He is in believers. And I know that there are a lot of things we can say, well, God, I I don't want to... What if someone else finds out? Flip it over. God already knows. David said in Psalm 51, in that great psalm of confession to God, he said, God, against you, you only have I sinned. You against you and you only, God, have I sinned. Even though he sinned against Bathsheba and killed her husband Uriah and caused generational conflict after that moment from his life and his family lineage, he still says, God, it was you that I offended. It was you that I transgressed against. And I prayed it this morning that each one of us may look beyond the works of our hands. We may look beyond the words of our mouth. And we might say at the core of us, God, right here, if integrity is who I am when nobody else is looking, who am I? This morning, I know that there's nothing more that God wants from us than to be men and women of integrity. We might not think that people are looking, but obviously as the case of the young man, Solomon was fully aware of all that was going on in this picture. And I pray this morning that, it, that we would realize it is a difficult thing to open our hearts before God. Not because we don't believe that he'll look, but because we know that he'll probably find something. And we don't want to see that. And this morning I want to ask you just a very simple question. Would you be willing to say those same words that David said in Psalm 139? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. This morning, in light of all that we've heard, what's your relationship to sin? Have you walking closer and closer to it? Are you tied up in it? Are you making your way towards its house? Are you stuck inside? This morning, Jesus Christ offers forgiveness, reconciliation, and praise God, He provides liberty for the captive. This morning, if there's something that's laying on your heart that is burdening you, you can leave your burdens here. You can pray. Maybe you're coming to a place in your life where you need to rededicate your life and you know. Maybe this has nothing to do with sexual sin in your life. And maybe it's the love of money or the pride or or many of the other sins that can so easily beset us and tie us up. And maybe this morning you say, God, I'm done. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm confessing this sin to you. And I'm trusting in your strength. I'm making the necessary steps in order to make sure that this sin does not have dominion over me. I pray, God, you will help me flee this sin. And I know that we all mess up. We all make mistakes. And that's the good news about the cross. Is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. He paid the penalty for the things I've looked at. He paid the penalty for the things that I've done that I shouldn't. And the things I didn't do that I should have done. Jesus Christ stands ready today to forgive you for every sin you've ever committed if you've never entered into a personal relationship with Him. You can have His victory today for your life. Salvation 
rededication, church membership, baptism. Maybe you just want to come and lay some things down on the altar and pray to God. Whatever that is, as you open your heart to God and He reveals that to you, will you and I be obedient? Will you and I be obedient to what He communicates to us? Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you that we're reminded once again the ugly picture of sin. And Lord, you know that we are bent towards sin. You know, Lord, that our flesh is sinful and and sin comes so naturally. And Father, I pray this morning that you would help us not just to hear the words, but to apply them to our life. Help us to live life with understanding of the dangers of sexual sins. That Lord, we would not We would no longer consider ourselves to be comfortable looking at pornographic images or looking at men or women in a lustful way that are not our wives or or husbands. And then, Father, you would help us to gain the victory over that, that we can be men and women of integrity from the inside out. Lord, I pray as you lead us to a decision this morning that it will be lasting and we'll be able to look back on this moment Days, weeks, months, years from now as a spiritual marker where you saved our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.